Discrimination and bias in the workplace. Not the obvious kind, though. They're really the subtle, maybe even ambiguous forms of discrimination that are faced by, oftentimes, female employees. So what does this subtle form of discrimination even really look like? How do you define it when it's subtle or even ambiguous? And how can you possibly address it? We're going to get into it right now with our guest, who's an assistant professor of sociology at the University of Toronto, Dr. Jan Doring. Dr. Doring, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You you wrote an article um, with a couple of, of co-authors in theconversation.com about this. I'm curious, why was this something that you wanted to, to explore or address? We are um, three researchers, so me and my colleagues, Laura Doring and uh, Andras Tilsic. We, we've been studying discrimination for a while, and uh, something that we realized is that there is this whole realm of experience where people think they may be facing discrimination, but they can't be entirely sure because the kind of experience that they had, for example, didn't didn't uh, explicitly reference gender or didn't include a slur word or anything of that sort. Uh, uh, and uh, for that reason, these experiences are difficult to classify. And what we wanted to know is is how women who we studied in this this case, how women experience uh, these situations and how they respond to them. And that, of course, differently uh, uh, than uh, they might respond to uh, overt discrimination. You know, and, and even though we're talking about subtle forms of discrimination that might be a little bit harder to classify or or define, and we're going to talk about how you can do that, um, it doesn't mean that these aren't still really valid experiences and ones that would, you know, erode your confidence in the workplace or, you know, keep you held back in, in a way, right? These are still, these are still, even though they're subtle, significant events. Absolutely. So we have hundreds of stories uh, from women uh, who work primarily in professional settings. And these experiences can range from uh, someone ignoring uh, a contribution that you make uh, during a meeting to uh, interrupting you uh, persistently, questioning your competence and your core area of expertise, uh, which would sort of be everyday annoyances that can nonetheless cut deep, but it can also include things like uh, being passed over for a promotion and you're just not sure how that happened to you. So it can range from from rather quotidian experiences to very, very serious career-defining experiences. You know, I think we're probably going to have people listening that are, are nodding along and saying, yeah, I really, I understand exactly what you're talking about. And I've experienced this maybe many times over. You're also going to get the other side of the conversation that's that's going to likely suggest, look, this is this is something that you're making too big a deal of. Can you speak to that? Yes, for sure. So uh, this is something, of course, that one one often hears that we've arrived in an age where specifically gender discrimination may not be so serious anymore, um, because of course a lot of progress has been made, and we're by no means denying that. That's that's wonderful. Um, but all real serious studies show that women continue to face disadvantages in many careers, especially uh, in corporate uh, careers. So it is still something to take very seriously. Another thing that I would add is that um, one might, or particularly men perhaps, might think that that women would uh, easily say in a situation where it's possible to 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 um, to classify negative treatment as discrimination that they would always do so. But our conversations actually show that the opposite is the case. When women face 
situations that could be discrimination, they actually hesitate a lot to attribute that negative treatment to discrimination and often blame themselves, uh, enter into these cycles of self-doubt and rumination over what they have experienced and uh, don't so so don't show the opposite response of just blaming conveniently um this is not what uh, women tend to do and then likely live with it for for quite a long time which is probably really unnecessary and, and unhealthy what would you recommend that that someone does if they feel like they're experiencing one of these subtle forms of discrimination mm-hmm. yeah it's it is it can be unhealthy so people have literally shown that carrying these doubts around with you uh, over time does uh, contribute to negative mental health outcomes, to sometimes to substance abuse, to bad sleep, to lowered self-esteem. So, so the consequences there can be very serious. Um, it's something where we hope we can make changes, not so much by the victims of these events themselves, advocating for themselves, because they often face the risk of being stigmatized when they do this, of being blamed for uh, for bringing these things up, and, and they might not be believed. So uh, a good solutions can be for sympathetic onlookers who see these things happening and who might work at the same company to just take that person aside and say, you know, I saw that and I don't think that's okay. Perhaps that's something if it repeats, we could talk with HR about, or we could we could request a meeting with management and talk about that. Um, so that would help. And then people who are specialized on these kinds of issues, so uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion personnel can be good people to talk to there. And in these low-stakes environments, women, and of course also uh, other uh, groups who face discrimination, people of color, say, uh, can can just drop by and say, you know, this happened to me. What do you think about that? Is that something? I should be doing something about so so that can be valuable support so one isn't so alone and and can decide whether to take next steps but i'm sure in your research you you have found that there are there are women or people of marginalized groups that that find themselves in a situation where it is impossible to step forward and to and to really do something about because maybe they're fearing um losing their job or or not being taken seriously what do you what do you suggest in a situation like that yeah, that's difficult to say. So, so um, uh, it it te- it often does not end well, right? To without uh, evidence uh, and supporters uh, complain about right. mistreatment. So, I don't I don't know that I want to advocate for that. Even though you know the truth may be on your side, what women tend to do in these kinds of situations is to buckle down and do double the job, right? So they work harder. They make uh, they they try to draw attention to their accomplishments, to their supervisors. Sometimes they even change how they dress. Uh, They wear less makeup, say, and just present in a less feminine manner. And that tends to work for some women. But of course, it doesn't change the problem itself. The organization, the workplace does not change, although the women themselves may be able to change outcomes for them personally. Dr. Doring, how how common is this? I know that you've done a lot of research to kind of get a sense of numbers, but how many women would you say are experiencing something like this? Uh, This is very, very uh, common. Uh, About 75% uh, of of women uh, report experiencing over the last year an incident where they would say, I think that may have been uh, discrimination, uh, but I can't be entirely certain. And that's more than uh, who report uh, overt discrimination, so, so, so clear-cut cases. So this is indeed very common.
You designed an experiment um, to, to try to expose discrimination in the workplace. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, um, it is. It was not so much designed to expose discrimination itself, but more to show how women respond uh, to potential discrimination, depending on how um, ambiguous that discrimination is. So we presented uh, women with uh, scenarios that uh, could constitute discrimination. For example, one scenario was you contribute an idea in a meeting, there is no response later, a male colleague says the same thing. Um, and then the supervisor picks up the idea of the male colleague and, and you know, gives credit there. Um, and then we manipulate the ambiguity of that incident. So in one case, we let a phone ring while the woman, so the person who's filling out the questionnaire, is speaking, which means that aside from the person willfully ignoring her, it could have also been that they didn't hear her. So that would be a case where the incident is more ambiguous. And where that doesn't happen, we would say that the discrimination is more overt. And what we find is that when the discrimination is more overt, women would feel more comfortable going to HR to talk to their supervisors, uh, to talk to supporters in their organization to essentially address this as a problem. But when there's a competing explanation and they can't be sure, for example, here, because the cell phone rang, they'll try to change their communication habits, for example, to speak louder, to uh, uh, to. Um, uh, to present differently, to dress differently, so, so so practices that they themselves control, which is which is unfair because the onus shouldn't be on the woman who's facing discrimination. So, what would you recommend for for leaders, managers, bosses to know about this? If seventy four percent of women say that they're experiencing this, that's right, and obviously this can have negative. Uh, consequences for organizations because women might eventually leave under these circumstances and we find that they that they do um, because it can just become too much so i think anything that encourages communication without penalty is a good thing because not of course not all incidents where a woman might might think that she experienced discrimination really were discrimination they, there there are some misunderstandings as well and those can be cleared up by doing that. And if it's possible to talk about, specifically about patterns of things that are occurring, women being systematically interrupted, women systematically receiving tasks, assignments that, doesn't, that, that don't set them up well for promotion, then that should be something that leaders take very seriously and where they try to change the culture. Um, also, like I said earlier, you know, any EDI initiative where resources and personnel are provided who can help people who are undergoing this uh, would be valuable as well. What, Dr. Doring, do you hope to accomplish with this research? Um, I'm hoping that we'll move closer, edge closer, as we, I hope, have done over the last decades towards gender equity, where the, the qualities and uh, talents of each person in the workplace can shine uh, to their full potential because it would probably make for a better society for everyone. Mm -hmm. Well, Dr. Doring, thank you so much for doing this work and for making the time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Of course. Take care. That's Dr. Jan Doring, Assistant Professor of Sociology out of the University of Toronto, talking about women facing subtle forms of discrimination and bias in the workplace. And uh, this is experienced by, as he said, 75% of women in the workforce.